Section twenty of the Chouans by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three e. Mademoiselle de Verneuil, on her return, betook herself at once to considering her ball dress. Francine, quite accustomed to obedience, though she did not understand the ends which her mistress had in view, ransacked the trunks and suggested a Greek costume. Everything at that time took its tone from ancient Greece. This toilette, which received Marie's approval, could be packed in a trunk that could easily be carried i am setting out on a wild errand francine child think whether you would rather stay here or go with me stay here cried francine if i did who would dress you where have you put the glove that i gave you this morning here it is sew a bit of green ribbon upon it and before all things do not forget to take some money but when she saw that francine had newly coined money in her hand she exclaimed that in itself would be the death of us send jeremiah to arouse corentin no the villain would follow us it would be better to send to the commandant to ask him for some crowns of six francs each for me marie thought of everything down to the smallest detail with a woman's foresight while francine completed the preparations for her incomprehensible journey she occupied herself with trying to imitate the cry of the screech owl and succeeded in imitating marchater's signal in a manner that baffled detection at midnight she passed out through st leonard's gate reached the narrow footpath along the nido croc and with francine following her she ventured across the dale of gibari she walked with a firm step for so strong a will as that which stirred within her invests the body and its movements with an indescribable quality of power for women the problem how to leave a ballroom without catching a cold is of no small importance but when their hearts are once possessed by passion their frames might be made of iron even a bold man would have hesitated over such an enterprise but scarcely had mademoiselle de verneuil begun to feel the attractions of the prospect when its dangers became so many temptations for her you are setting out without a prayer for god's protection said francine who had turned to look at st leonard's spire the devout breton girl stopped clasped her hands and said her ave to st anne of Auray, beseeching her to prosper their journey while her mistress stood waiting deep in thought gazing alternately at the childlike attitude of her maid who was praying fervently and at the effects of the misty moonlight as it fell over the carved stonework about the church giving to the granite the look of delicate filigree in no long time the two women reached galop chopin's cottage light as were the sounds of their footsteps they aroused one of the huge dogs that in brittany are entrusted with the safe-keeping of the door a simple wooden latch being the only fastening in vogue 
the dog made a rush at the two strangers and his bark became so furious that they were compelled to retreat a few paces and to call for help nothing stirred however mademoiselle de vernoy gave the cry of the screech owl and then the rusty hinges of the cabin door creaked loudly all at once and galope chopin who had risen in haste showed his gloomy countenance marie held out montauron's glove for the inspection of the warden of fougeres i must go to st james at once she said the comte de beauvon told me that i should find a guide and protector in you so find two donkeys for us to ride my worthy galop chopin and prepare to come with us yourself time is valuable for if we do not reach st james before to-morrow evening we shall neither see the gare nor the ball galop chopin utterly amazed took the glove and turned it over and over then he lighted a candle made of resin about the thickness of the little finger and the color of gingerbread this commodity had been imported from the north of europe and like everything else in this strange land of brittany plainly showed the prevailing ignorance of the most elementary principles of commerce when galop chopin had seen the green ribbon taken a look at mademoiselle de vernoy scratched his ear and emptied a pitcher of cider after offering a glass to the fair lady he left her seated upon the bench of polished chestnut wood before the table and went in search of two donkeys the violet rays of the outlandish candle were hardly strong enough to outshine the fitful moonlight that gave vague outlines in dots of light to the dark hues of the furniture and to the floor of the smoke-begrimed hut the little urchin had raised his pretty wondering face and up above his fair curls appeared the heads of two cows their pink noses and great eyes shone through the holes in the wall of the byre the big dog whose head was by no means the least intelligent one in this family seemed to contemplate the two strangers with a curiosity quite as great as that displayed by the child a painter would have dwelt admiringly on the effect of this night-piece but marie was not very eager to enter into conversation with the spectre-like barbette who was now sitting up in bed and had begun to open her eyes very wide with recognition marie went out to avoid the pestiferous atmosphere of the hovel and to escape the questions which the becanier was about to ask she tripped lightly up the flight of stairs cut in the rock which overhung galope chopin's cottage and thence admired the endless detail of the landscape before her which underwent a change at every step whether backwards or forwards towards the crests of the hills or down to the depths of the valleys moonlight was spreading like a luminous mist far and wide over the valley of the Couenon a woman who carried a burden of slighted love in her heart could not but experience the feeling of melancholy that this soft light produces in the soul a light that lent fantastic outlines to the mountain forms and traced out the lines of the streams in strange pale tints 
the silence was broken just then by the bray of the asses marie hurried down to the chouin's cabin and they set out at once galope chopin armed with a double-barreled fowling-piece wore a shaggy goatskin which gave him the appearance of a robinson crusoe his wrinkled and blotched countenance was barely visible beneath his huge hat an article of dress to which the peasants still cling in pride at having obtained after all their long ages of serfdom a decoration sacred to the heads of their lords in times of yore there was something patriarchal about the costume attitude and form of their guide and protector the whole nocturnal procession resembled the picture of the flight into egypt which we owe to the sombre brush of rembrandt galop chopin industriously avoided the highway and led the two women through the vast labyrinth made by cross-country roads in brittany by this time mademoiselle de verneuil understood the tactics of the chouans in war as she herself went over these tracks she could form a more accurate notion of the nature of the country which had appeared so enchanting to her when she viewed it from the heights a country presenting dangers and well-nigh hopeless difficulties which must be experienced before any idea can be formed concerning them the peasants from time immemorial have raised a bank of earth about each field forming a flat-topped ridge six feet in height with beeches oaks and chestnut trees growing upon the summit the ridge or mound planted in this wise is called a hedge the kind of hedge they have in normandy and as the long branches of the trees which grow upon it almost always project across the road they make a great arbor overhead the roads themselves shut in by clay banks in this melancholy way are not unlike the moats of fortresses and whenever the granite which is nearly always just beneath the surface in these districts does not form an uneven natural pavement the ways become so excessively heavy that the lightest cart can only travel over them with the help of two yoke of oxen and a couple of horses they are small horses it is true but generally strong so chronic is the swampy state of the roads that by dint of use and wont a path called a route has been beaten out for foot passengers along the side of the hedge in each field the necessary transition from one field to another is effected by climbing a few steps cut in the bank sides which are often slippery in wet weather the travellers found other obstacles in abundance to be surmounted in these winding lanes each separate piece of land fortified in the way that has been described possesses a gateway some ten feet wide which is barred across by a contrivance called an echalier in the west the echalier is either a trunk or a limb of a tree with a hole drilled through one end of it so that it can be set on another shapeless log of wood which serves as it were for a handle or pivot upon which the first piece is turned 
the thick end of the echalier is so arranged as to project some distance behind this pivot so that it can carry a heavy weight as a counterpoise a device that enables a child to open and close this curious rustic gate the further end of the tree trunk lies in a hollow fashioned on the inner side of the bank itself sometimes the peasants thriftily dispense with the stone counterpoise and let the thick end of the trunk or limb of the tree hang further over instead this kind of barrier varies with the taste of every farmer very often the echalier consists of one single branch of a tree with either end ensconced in the earth of the bank often again it looks like a square gate built up of many branches set at intervals as if the rungs of a ladder had been arranged crosswise this kind of gate turns about like an echalier and the other end moves upon a little revolving disc these hedges and echaliers make the land look like a vast chessboard each field is a separate and distinct enclosure like a fortress and each like a fortress is protected by a rampart the gateways are readily defended and when stormed afford a conquest fraught with many perils the breton has a fancy that fallow land is made fertile by growing huge bushes of broom upon it so he encourages this shrub which thrives upon the treatment it receives to such an extent that it soon reaches the height of a man this superstition is not unworthy of a population capable of depositing their heaps of manure on the highest points of their fold yards and in consequence one-fourth of the whole area of the land is covered with thickets of broom affording hiding-places without number for ambuscades scarcely a field is without its one or two old cider apple trees whose low overhanging branches are fatal to the vegetation beneath imagine therefore how little of the field itself is left when every hedge is planted with huge trees whose greedy roots spread out over one-fourth of the space and you will have some idea of the system of cultivation and general appearance of the country through which mademoiselle de verneuil was travelling it is not clear whether a desire to avoid disputes about landmarks or the convenient and easy custom of shutting up cattle on the land with no one to look after them brought about the construction of these redoubtable barriers permanent obstacles which make the country impenetrable and render a war with large bodies of troops quite impossible when the nature of the land has been reviewed step by step the hopelessness of a struggle between regular and irregular troops is abundantly evident for five hundred men can hold the country in the teeth of the troops of a kingdom this was the whole secret of shuan warfare mademoiselle de verneuil now understood how pressing was the necessity that the republic should stamp out rebellion rather by means of police and diplomacy than by futile efforts on the part of the military as a matter of fact 
what was it possible to effect against a people clever enough to despise the possession of their towns while they secured the length and breadth of their land by such indestructible earthworks and how do otherwise than negotiate when the whole blind force of the peasants was concentrated in a wary and audacious chief she admired the genius of the minister who had discovered the clue to a peace in the depths of his cabinet she thought she had gained an insight into the nature of the considerations which sway men who have ability enough to see the condition of an empire at a glance their actions which in the eyes of the crowd seem to be criminal are but the partial manifestations of a single vast conception there is about such awe-inspiring minds as these an unknown power which seems to belong half to chance and half to fate a mysterious prophetic instinct within them beckons them and they rise up suddenly the common herd misses them for a moment from among its numbers raises its eyes and beholds them soaring on high these thoughts seemed to justify nay to exalt mademoiselle de vernoy's longings for revenge her hopes and the thoughts that wrought within her lent to her sufficient strength to endure the unwonted fatigues of her journey at the boundary of every freehold galop chopin was compelled to assist the two women to dismount and to help them to scramble over the awkward interval and when the routes came to an end they were obliged to mount again and venture into the miry lanes which the approach of winter had already affected the huge trees the hollow ways and the barriers in these low-lying meadows all combined to shut in a damp atmosphere that surrounded the three travellers like an icy pall after much painful fatigue they reached the woods of marignier at sunrise their way became easier along a broad forest ride the thick vault of branches overhead protected them from the weather and they encountered no more of the difficulties which had hitherto impeded them they had scarcely gone a league through the forest when they heard a confused far-off murmur of voices and the silvery sounds of a bell ringing less monotonously than those which are shaken by the movements of cattle Galop Chopin hearkened to the soft sounds with keen attention. Very soon a gust of the breeze bore the words of a psalm to his ear. This seemed to produce a great effect upon him. He led the weary donkeys aside into a track which took the travellers away from the direct road to St. James, turning a deaf ear to the remonstrances of mademoiselle de vernoy whose uneasiness was increased by the gloomy condition of the place enormous blocks of granite with the strangest outlines lay to right and left of them piled one above another huge serpent-like roots wandered over these rocks seeking moisture and nourishment afar for some few venerable beeches both sides of the road looked like the huge caves which are famous for their stalactites ravines and cavern mouths were hidden by festoons of ivy 
the sombre green of the holly thickets mingled with the brackens and with green or grayish patches of moss the travellers had not taken many steps along this narrow track when a most amazing scene suddenly spread itself before mademoiselle de vernoy's eyes and explained galope chopin's pertinacity a kind of cove rose before them built up of huge masses of granite forming a semicircular amphitheatre tall dark firs and golden-brown chestnut trees grew on its irregular tiers which rose one above another as in a great circus the winter sun seemed not so much to throw its light as to pour a flood of pale colors over everything and autumn had spread a warm brown carpet of dry leaves everywhere in the very centre of this hall which seemed to have had the deluge for its architect rose three giant druidical stones a great altar above which the banner of the church was set some hundred men in fervent prayer knelt bareheaded in this enclosure where a priest assisted by two other ecclesiastics was saying mass the poverty of the sacerdotal garb the weak voice of the priest which echoed like a murmur in space the crowd of men filled with conviction united by one common feeling bending before the undecorated altar and the bare crucifix the sylvan austerity of the temple the hour and the place lent this scene an appearance of simplicity which must have characterized early christian gatherings mademoiselle de vernoy stood still in admiring awe she had never before seen or imagined anything like this mass said in the heart of the forest this worship which persecution had driven back to its primitive conditions this poetry of the days of yore brought into sharp contrast with the strange and wild aspects of nature these kneeling shuans armed or unarmed at once men and children at once cruel and devout she recollected how often she had marvelled in her childhood at the pomps which this very church of rome has made so grateful to every sense but she had never been brought thus face to face with the thought of god alone his cross above the altar his altar set on the bare earth among the autumn woods that seemed to sustain the dome of the sky above as the garlands of carved stone crown the archways of gothic cathedrals while for the myriad colors of stained glass windows a few faint red gleams of sunlight and its duller reflections scarcely lighted up the altar the priest and his assistants the men before her were a fact and not a system this was a prayer and not a theology but the human passions which thus restrained for a moment had left the harmony of this picture undisturbed soon reasserted themselves and brought a powerful animation into the mysterious scene the gospel came to an end as mademoiselle de vernoy came up 
she recognized not without alarm the abbe gaudin in the officiating priest and hastily screened herself from his observation behind a great fragment of granite which made a hiding-place for her she also drew francine quickly behind it but in vain did she endeavor to tear galope chopin away from the post which he had chosen with a view to sharing in the benefits of the ceremony she hoped to effect an escape from the danger that threatened her when she saw that the nature of the ground would permit her to withdraw before all the rest of the congregation through a large cleft in the rock she saw the abbe gaudin take his stand upon a block of granite which served him for a pulpit where he began his sermon with these words in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti the whole congregation devoutly made the sign of the cross as he spoke my dear brethren the abbe then began in a loud voice first of all let us pray for the dead for jean crochegrou nicolas laferte joseph Prouet, francois parcroix sulpice Coupio, all of this parish who died of the wounds which they received in the fight at la pelerine and in the siege of fougeres de profundus and the psalm was recited as their custom was by the priests and congregation who repeated alternate verses with an enthusiasm that augured well for the success of the sermon when the psalm for the dead was over the abbe gaudin went on again in tones that grew more and more vehement for the old jesuit was well aware that an emphatic style of address was the most convincing form of argument by which to persuade his uncivilized audience these defenders of god christian brethren have set example of your duty before you said he are you not ashamed of what they may be saying of you in paradise were it not for those blessed souls who must have been welcomed there by the saints with open arms our lord might well believe that your parish is the abode of heathen mahometans do you know my gar what is said about you in brittany and what the king is told of you you do not know is that so i will tell you they say what is this altars have been overthrown by the blues they have slain the rectors they have murdered the king and queen they intend to take the men of every parish in brittany to make them blues like themselves and to send them away from their parishes to fight in far-off countries where they run the risk of dying unshriven and therefore of spending eternity in hell and are the gars of marignet whose church has been burned down waiting with their arms hanging by their sides Oho! this accursed republic has sold the goods of god and of the seigneurs by auction and divided the price among the blues and in order to batten itself on money as it has battened on blood the republic has issued a decree which demands three livres out of every crown of six francs just as it demands three men out of every six 
and the men of marigny have not taken up their weapons to drive the blues out of brittany aha paradise will be shut against them and they will never save their souls that is what people are saying about you it is your own salvation christians that is at stake you will save your souls in the struggle for your faith and your king saint anne of Auray appeared to me herself yesterday at half-past two she told me then just what i am telling you now thou art a priest from marigny yes madame at your service very good i am saint anne of Auray, aunt of god as we reckon in brittany i dwell at Auray, and i am come hither also to bid thee tell the gar of marigny that there is no hope of salvation for them if they do not take up arms so thou shalt refuse to absolve them from their sins unless they serve god thou shalt bless their guns and those gar who shall be absolved from their sins shall never miss the blues for their guns shall be holy she disappeared beneath the goose-foot oak leaving an odor of incense behind i marked the spot there is a beautiful wooden virgin there set up by the rector of st james moreover the mother of pierre le roi who is called marcheterre having repaired thither in the evening to pray has been healed of her sufferings through the good works wrought by her son there she is in your midst you can see her with your own eyes walking about without help from any one it is a miracle like the resurrection of the blessed marie lambrequin wrought to prove to you that god will never forsake the cause of the bretons so long as they fight for his servants and for the king so dear brethren if you would save your souls and show yourselves to be defenders of our lord the king you ought to obey him who has been sent to you by the king and whom we call the ga in everything that he may command then you will no longer be like heathen mahometans and you will be found with all the ga of all brittany beneath the banner of god you can take back again out of the blues pockets all the money that they have stolen for since your fields lie unsown while you go out to war our lord and the king make over to you all the spoils of your enemies christians shall it be said of you that the gar of marigny lag behind the gar of morbihan the gar of saint georges of vitre of entrain who are all in the service of god and the king will you allow them to take everything will you look on like heretics with folded arms while so many bretons are saving their own souls while they save their king for me ye shall give up all things says the gospel have not we ourselves given up our tithes already give up everything to wage this sacred war you shall be as the maccabees you will be pardoned at the last 
you will find in your midst your rectors and your cures and the victory will be yours christians give heed to this said he as he drew to an end to-day is the only day on which we have the power of blessing your guns those who do not take advantage of this favor will never find the blessed one of Olray so merciful at another time and she will not hear them again as she did in the last war this sermon supported by the thunders of a powerful voice and by manifold gesticulations which bathed the orator in perspiration produced but little apparent effect the peasants stood motionless as statues with their eyes fixed on the speaker but mademoiselle de vernoy soon saw clearly that this universal attitude was the result of a spell which the abbe exerted over the crowd like all great actors he had swayed his audience as one man by appealing to their passions and to their interests was he not absolving them beforehand for any excesses that they might commit had he not severed the few bonds that restrained these rough natures and that kept them obedient to the precepts of religion and of social order he had prostituted the priestly office to the uses of political intrigue but in those revolutionary times every one used such weapons as he possessed in the interests of his party and the peace-bringing cross of christ became an instrument of war as did the plowshare that produces man's daily bread mademoiselle de vernoy saw no one who could understand her thoughts so she turned to look at francine and was not a little amazed to find that her maid was sharing in the general enthusiasm she was devoutly telling her beads on galope chopin's rosary he no doubt had made it over to her during the course of the sermon francine she murmured are you also afraid of being a heathen mohammedan oh mademoiselle answered the breton girl only look at pierre's mother over yonder she is walking there was such deep conviction in francine's attitude that marie understood the secret spell of the sermon the influence exercised by the clergy in the country and the tremendous power of the scene which was just about to begin those peasants who stood nearest went up one by one kneeling as they offered their guns to the preacher who laid them down upon the altar galop chopin lost no time in presenting himself with his old duck gun the three priests chanted the hymn veni creator while the officiating priest enveloped the instruments of death in a thick cloud of bluish smoke describing a pattern of intertwining lines when the light wind had borne away the fumes of incense the guns were given out again in order each man knelt to receive his weapon from the hands of the priests who recited a prayer in latin as they returned it to him when every armed man had returned to his place the intense enthusiasm hitherto mute which possessed the congregation broke out in a tremendous yet touching manner 
Domine, salvum fac regum. This was the prayer that the preacher thundered forth in an echoing voice, and which was sung twice through with vehement excitement. There was something wild and warlike about the sounds of their voices. The two notes of the word regem, which the peasants readily comprehended, were taken with such passionate force that Mademoiselle de Vernoy could not prevent her thoughts from straying with emotion to the exiled family of Bourbons. These recollections awoke others of her own past life. Her memory brought back festive scenes at the court where she herself had shone conspicuous, a court now scattered abroad. The form of the Marquis glided into her musings. She forgot the picture before her eyes, and with the sudden transition of thought natural to women's minds, her scheme of vengeance recurred to her, a scheme for which she was about to risk her life, and yet a single glance might bring it to naught. She meditated how to appear at her best, at this supreme moment of her career, and remembered that she had no ornaments with which to deck her hair for this ball. A spray of holly at once attracted her attention, and the thought of a wreath of its curling leaves and scarlet berries carried her away. Aha, said Gallop Chopin, wagging his head to show his satisfaction. My gun may hang fire when I am after birds, but when I am after the blues, never. Marie looked more closely at her guide's countenance, and saw that it was on the same pattern as all the others which she had just seen. There seemed to be fewer ideas expressed in the old Chouan's face than in that of a child. His cheeks and forehead were puckered with unconcealed joy as he looked at his gun. Religious conviction had infused an element of fanaticism into his elation, so that, for a moment, the worst propensities of civilization seemed to be manifested in his barbarous features. They very soon reached a village, that is to say a collection of four or five dwellings, like Gallop Chopin's own. Mademoiselle de Vernoy was finishing a breakfast, composed solely of bread and butter and dairy produce, when the newly recruited Chouans arrived. The rector headed these irregular troops, bearing in his hands a rough crucifix transformed into a banner, and followed by a gar who was full of pride at assisting to carry the parish standard. Mademoiselle de Vernoy perforce found herself included in this detachment, which was on its way to St. James, and consequently protected from dangers of all kinds for Galope Chopin had been happily inspired to make an indiscreet avowal to the leader of the troop, how that the pretty Garth, whom he was escorting, was a good friend to the Gar. End of section 20